0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com
2: i'm greg blaze host of cutting the curd you're listening to heritage radio network broadcasting live from bushwick brooklyn if you like this program visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more
1: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, January 13th. This is the 91st episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is one of the most influential chefs in New York, and I will introduce him in a moment. First, as I do in every show, start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer public relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to evolve, allow for growth and development. Don't be afraid to switch up your style or your approach with clients and business. Trying things differently can lead to positive results while being stagnant can be well stagnant. So dare to keep evolving. That is my tip today. Now, I'm honored to have my guest here. It is Chef Paul Liebrandt, an Englishman in New York. Among his many accolades, Paul was the youngest chef to receive three stars from the New York Times at Atlas. He earned two Michelin stars at Cortone, which was nominated Best New Restaurant by the James Beard Foundation and awarded Best New Restaurant by Esquire magazine. His next restaurant, The Elm in Brooklyn, received the same Esquire title. Paul was named a best new chef by Food and Wine. Starred in the Emmy-nominated and James Beard Award-winning HBO documentary *A Matter of Taste*. His first book, *To the Bone*, was published in 2013, and he is currently working with SodaStream as a consultant. Welcome, Paul. Good afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I try to get these bios short, and I just couldn't with you. Uh, you've done so so many amazing things, <laughs> and and you have received a lot of honors. So. Um, I'm excited. I'd like to start out with chef's backgrounds and just find out how you got into the industry and came to New York.
2: Mm, Okay. Um, Well, I I grew up in London, and I started off working at 15 years old in London. Um, I worked there for a few years in lots of interesting restaurants, and Lascago, one of the oldest restaurants in London, was my first place. I went to Paris, came back to London after working in Paris for Pierre Gagnier and thought, I I need to see something else. Because London at that time was um, very classical French and um, I wanted to see the world a little bit. So I came to New York, originally just for a vacation. And I fell in love with New York and went back to London and uh, stopped everything and, and just moved here. And that was in uh, 2000. And uh, I haven't left. So, Wow. Mm.
1: I, I loved, I think it was on your Twitter, it says Englishman in New York. So yes. It's like, yes. a good, good title. Mm-hmm. Oh, but getting back before you came to New York, I know you worked with some chefs like Marco Pierre White. Mm-hmm. And how did they influence you?
2: Well, uh, um, that was my foundation of learning how to cook. Um, and not just professionally, because I was, you know, when I worked for Marco, I was seventeen. So not not just um, learning how to cook, but learning how to be uh, an adult. Um, I started when I was fifteen, and, and when I moved to New York, I was twenty three. So I've been working eight years in the industry um, at twenty three years old. So I was still very young, very immature, but. It helped uh, really mentor me in a way of um, all the foundation of, of what it takes to last in this business. So uh, working with them really um, opened my eyes to dedicating yourself to something.
1: As I have been reading your memoir, mm, so I'm picking a up. It's not it's a not memoir. It's not a memoir?
2: No. It's it, uh, no. No, please don't use that one. Okay. It's not a memoir.
1: What should I call I'm it? I'm
2: too young to have. It's not. It, was, it, is, a, it is a story. And it is just a story about a young person uh, making their way in life. As the movie was, same thing. It's not a memoir. It is a, a collection of um, stories, I guess you could say, up to the present day.
1: Got it. Well, I've been reading
2: it, oh, and thank
1: you. I even I like the little stories that are told with different dishes, beautiful photography mm. from Evan Song, and
2: and the writing by Andrew Friedman. Yes. Uh, Very Dickensian esque. Yes.
1: No. So I was just learning different where where different dishes were influenced by Mm -hmm. you, and it seems like it's from just your lifelong journey of Mm -hmm. and working with different chefs in Mm -hmm. different kitchens, and very inspirational.
2: Well, you know, I mean, when you work in different kitchens, you the stuff you like, stuff you don't like, and you learn um, the personality of whoever you're working for. And that helps you to evolve um, and develop your own personality. And so, working for Marco Pierre White was very different than working uh, for Pierre Gagné, both of which are huge influences on uh, me as a man and also my culinary uh, voice. Um, I would say probably, when regards to New York, Jean-Georges was the one. Jean-Georges von Richten was the one who um, opened Vong in London. Uh, back in ninety five or whenever it was i forget <laughs> i wasn't i was uh, i wasn 't there very long but I, I um I got that taste and and it rolled around in my head for a few years New York before actually coming here so that was a huge influence for me i mean probably the biggest i guess I could say that I moved here and i've been here for fifteen sixteen years now so
1: yeah, so how did the documentary come about
2: mm. well the documentary, um, it started off when I was at Atlas. Um, uh, my wine director there, his then girlfriend, now wife, um, was, a, was a documentary filmmaker. And she would come in and eat and just found, I suppose, the style of the food um, was very creative and was very intrigued about the creative process. So she asked me if it would be okay if she could just film um, sort of background of, of, of us working and, and what have you. Um, not, for, not for anything in particular. This was in 2001. And I said, sure, fine. So she showed up with a sound person, two people. And they stand in the kitchen in the corner, and it just went on and on. And like five years into it, I'd forgotten. It, they were like almost like part of the kitchen crew. It would just show up and all the other guys in the kitchen would be like looking I'm like that. Ah, don't worry about it there And there was never meant to be a, anything. It was just I, I don't know why but she wanted to film and so We opened Corton and she felt like that was a good sort of cap and that was nine and a half years of filming um, Up to the point where we we opened and so she said <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I think we got enough footage, you know 500 hours or whatever it was um, so she edited down and called me up about seven months later and said, come look, we, we have a movie. And at this point, there wasn't any real idea to release it or it was just you wanted to condense everything into a story. And so I, I went and I watched it and I was you know shocked because you look at yourself from 10 years prior. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then HBO uh, bought the movie. Uh, before it was even premiered we premiered at south by southwest in austin the big uh, right yeah but hbo had already picked it up and then um yeah so it well, kind of went bbc and global and it was very very interesting um people's reactions to it um very much um uh, i would say not really not really a movie about food as such even though it you know it, food is the, the the main sort of theme uh the underlying is again uh, just a young person and the story of life ups and downs and what have you and it could have easily have been about any any profession it just happened that i cook uh which i think is um probably why people around the globe when we went to different you know movie um uh, festivals etc really sort of related to it because i think there's a lot of common themes there which um Sally and the editor, Amy, did a great job in in sort of capturing the essence in the sixty eight minutes that turned out to be the ultimate film. Yeah.
1: Well, it's amazing that you were filmed for so long, and also I I'm always surprised when people say after time the cameras disappear and you don't notice mm. them, but because yeah. uh, that's a long <clears throat> time to have mm. have someone watching what you're doing. And I did see the film when you premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. Yes, yes. yes. That was in—I think it was in the East Village. Yes, Tribeca right. East yes, Village yes, Festival. Yes. Um, and I loved it. And I loved seeing your story. And and it was—it's it, a great movie.
2: Yeah, that, like I said, I—I I, didn't—I was just the subject of it. I mean, the real stars are the the director and the editor and the producers that actually crafted all of that footage into something. That was very, uh, very exciting. You know, you watch yes. it; it feels exciting. Um, watching it, you know, is as a, as a really nice sort of ballet to the whole thing. And they did an amazing job; they really did. Um, yeah,
1: I give a lot of credit to editing. Yeah, editing is key. Tough,
2: very tough. Yeah,
1: yeah. But you being the star of this movie, and again having a camera there watching you for so long, mm-hmm. is uh, says a lot about you as well.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, again, you know, five years into it, I'm just sort of. Like, why are we doing this again? Right. I completely forgot the whole reason why they were there and just accepted that we would have a, a sound person with a mic and a, a camera, sort of filming what we did in the kitchen, which was uh, very interesting for the for the new the new team that would come in and new people would just be, you know, like a deer in headlights uh, for the first couple of days when they saw it. But um, yeah, certainly very interesting. To
1: would know. you do another
2: movie? Yeah, sure. I, again I didn't have to do anything well <laughs> I know I really all I mean all I did was just do life that's all I did um, so it really wasn't work for me it was just they, they were just capturing uh, you know life or as it happens um, so I didn't have to work at it so yeah I would do something else uh, similar absolutely I think it's um, I think I mean from the from the feedback that I have received globally here. I mean, it got it got picked up all over Europe, BBC, RTL, ART in France, South America, South Africa, Israel, Australia, everywhere. Um, and the feedback, I mean, that I got from emails from all over the world is that it inspires a lot of young people to get into the business of cooking and, and um, uh, to, to To sort of devote themselves to the craft of cuisine like I did when I was young um, because a lot of people they might like it, but they they don't know enough about it and you know maybe um tv food TV maybe isn't the most realistic um, uh, mirror of the business that we're in uh, so our our little documentary um, I feel is a is a very real and raw of the ups and downs of, of what we do and I think that we we did inspire and we we do inspire a lot of young people to want to get into this devote themselves um and and really do something very positive and very um good with their talents and their uh, and give themselves something to really attach themselves to that they can take and make a life out of as i do did when I was young and um, I think for me that's the biggest positive with it I mean uh, if I can help somebody who's unsure of what they want to do guide them in a way into the right path of doing this because it's it's a wonderful business I mean in many ways it's hard but you put a lot in you get a lot out and it really is um, what you put in is what you get out with most things in life but this one's it can be very rewarding in many ways so yeah, I mean, I think for me, that's the, that's the biggest payoff. I mean, uh, yeah.
1: I could see that. And, and having been in New York now since 98, and I feel I've dined at your restaurants and followed your career, and I remember going to Papillon, mm. and I've been to Corton, and I've been to the Elm. So how would you say... I mean, has your style changed at all over the years? I was my tip with the evolving kind of came from you because I feel mm. you do evolve.
2: Well, I, absolutely, you have to evolve or die, basically. Um,
1: <laughs> well, it's very true. I
2: mean, you're absolutely. Should've,
1: that should have been my tip in a in a nutshell.
2: But you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, evolution is human nature, is it not? Otherwise, we'd all die off, right? You have to evolve. You have to adapt. Um, as far as my own case going, um, every restaurant that I've done, I would never want to do the same restaurant over and over because that's boring. And obviously, your clientele, the location, the style of the restaurant dictates the kind of thing you do. So you have to be able to adapt to that. Um, what we were doing at Atlas in 2001 pre-9-11 was very different to what we were doing at Papillon a year later post-9-11. The market was completely different. Mm-hmm. I was here uh, when that whole you know, event happened. Right. And people's tastes and what they want and, um, you know, you, you have to adapt. You wouldn't want to try and do the same thing and just hope for the, you know, the same results. You, you have to be able to look and judge on on uh, what the, 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 the location and the style of what you're doing dictates. So, yeah, you have to change and evolve. And also, you know, I mean… You get older, right? Your tastes change. Your maturity um, enhances with time. And you see things that you didn't see when you were younger. And you become, hopefully, better at what you do. Um, So I I think that that's uh, a huge part of it. There's no point in doing something the same thing over and over again and not learning from good and bad, as we all do.
1: Would you keep a signature dish on a menu for ever or would you I mean I'm thinking no no okay yeah
2: again you know it's like a musician you know each album I mean now that we're speaking about like David Bowie Mm -hmm. God rest his soul there there you go that's a perfect example every album was different like doing a restaurant each album each each period he had a different um, a different approach so whether it was in the seventies or the eighties, there's a different approach to it. And that's how you last decades. That's that's longevity. And that's how you inspire and influence generations of musicians and people by adapting, not just being the same. So as far as the food goes, the you know, the mentality doesn't change, but um signature wise, I, I don't think I have a signature dish i mean we have favorites that people like and we would bring a certain dish back maybe but i would never just replicate the same thing over and over again for the sake of doing it i would look at it and say well we did this dish 10 years ago like this what have we learned since then how can we take that same idea the base idea and maybe craft it slightly differently so that is maybe more uh in tune with today so I think sense. I think that that that's uh, the closest to a signature item. I think.
1: Yes, and it's a good analogy. And on that note, I'm going to take a little break here. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. <laughs>
2: was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com.
1: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Chef Paul Liebrandt. Let's talk a little bit about SodaStream.
0: Hmm.
1: What's going on with SodaStream, this partnership? you've been doing, creating flavors? Um,
2: Well, SodaStream, yes. Um, Why don't you explain what SodaStream is?
1: For me to explain it? Mm. Well, it's taking regular water and it carbonating it. I have one at home, Mm -hmm. so I should know what it is. And I like that you can control the bubbles. Yes. And... Is that a good enough explanation? It is.
2: It's a home carbonation system for, um, you can make fizzy water or you can flavor it with uh, the flavored um, uh, line that we've done with them, which is um, they approached me about doing something very creative flavor-wise with them. And so we went to Vienna and we worked with their genius food people and, We created uh, about 18 different flavors for them called Sparkling Gourmet Line. And it's um, very interesting. Um, Maybe not the normal flavors that you would have um, in carbonated drinks. Um, Sea buckthorn, uh, tamarind, things like this that um, we've done. And we are in currently 25 countries right now. At um, uh, the end of this year, we're going to be in 45 countries wow. globally. Yeah.
1: So what what inspired you to get involved with this, with well,
2: SodaStream um, and create these you know, flavors? The, the, I, funny though, SodaStream, it's an Israeli company now, but SodaStream as a company have actually been around for about 100 years. And it was actually a British company. I knew oh, you were
1: going to say that. It was. No, really.
2: Really, <laughs> it was. It was a British company about 100 years ago, originally. Um, kind of, You know, like, you know, like uh, the sort of old soda, sort of like uh, bottles that you would Seltzer. go in. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, that you would get filled up. So that kind of idea, but for the home. And it started off in England. It was being bought and sold many times over the years. And, um, you know, I had one when I was a kid. I remember growing up with one. It wasn't very really good. And I remember the the name SodaStream, and so I was very dubious at first. But then, um, the, uh, the, the 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 people that own it now have invested heavily in the design and the technology of the machines and the flavors. And so I thought, okay, so they gave me a machine. It's, it's beautiful. Um, the designer who did the new machine, I think, was one of the people that worked on the iPod uh, for Apple. He's one of the designers, so it is very elegant nice lines and, and they asked me like, we'd like to do something very creative with you that will reach literally millions of people, these flavors. And I was like, millions, really? And they like, no, no, they're a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ and they are in truly global company. So I did a bit of research and they weren't lying. So I said, sure, okay. So we went to Vienna, we worked with a company called Frimage. Fermich is the company behind every company that does anything to do with food or fragrance or alcohol. They're based out of Switzerland. Their beverage division is in Vienna. Um, so if Chanel, number, Chanel wants to do a new perfume, they go to Fermich. Nestle does a new line of Nesquik or something. They go to Fermich. This is the company that develops um, new flavors. Got so it. we went to their offices there and i i sort of put down a lot of ideas of flavors and combinations that would work well and it was like a a kid in a candy store i mean we say uh, i think we 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 were talking about blackcurrant as one of the flavors and they said okay well what kind of blackcurrant do you want i said i don't know you tell me and said well we have about 40 different kinds of blackcurrant we have northern hemisphere southern hemisphere Age blackcurrant winter some every different kind of variation of blackcurrant. So uh, we did we, we drank a lot of soda. We drank a lot <laughs> of soda to get uh, the exact balance that we uh, that we wanted in each flavour. And then we worked on the packaging and we worked on um, all natural sugars. So there's no um, th- th- there's th- we're using natural stevia and. Um, natural flavorings, um, nothing really too artificial in it, which is great. It's very good.
1: Yeah, well, it's like the as you said, like Chanel, like it's a process of making a yeah. perfume of what it sounds yeah. like, and it does
2: sound like it would be fun. Well, it was fun. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not a big soda drinker myself. I'll be honest with you, but when you think about giving people around the globe um, an option that have a soda stream machine. Um, To give an example uh, Scandinavia um, All the countries of Scandinavia One in four households has a soda stream machine That's 25% of the entire population of four countries has a machine That's a lot of people that you can reach with Your flavors that are when they go to refill when they go to buy new flavors that are there so I thought it was a very interesting and completely different way because restaurants are a finite amount of people that you can cook for. Doing this is on a much bigger scale. so yes. And it's a creative in a very different way.
1: Are your flavors available to anyone in the world?
2: Of course. Do you yes.
1: order them online? Is that um, how? yes? You can go okay. to
2: SodaStream and order them. Um, they are available in this country: uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, Walmart, Williams and Sonoma, places like this where you buy them. Um, but you have to
1: go get them because yeah. I my machine, which I got about a year ago, because I'm a non-drinker and I typically drink water all the time, and I figured I can spice it up a little yeah. <laughs> with some bubbles. And but my machine came with. Uh, more basic flavors. Like, yeah, yeah. Sure, so sure. I would love to. I, have well, to the, I, I think the
2: idea was to get away from doing only, you know, the cola and the, the, the sort of yeah. traditional flavors that you would that, that see what they are the most popular ones. But to give another option of something which was more than just a cola or fizzy orange or so we have like Yuzu Mandarin as one of the flavors, which is fantastic. We did um, cucumber and green apple which is one of them which is That sounds great. So refreshing and, and, and very effervescent. So things effervescent. That, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, I will look for that and my next question will be let me ask you what I had from last week. I had on Nikki Reese Dermody on episode 90. She's the director of special events at Bon Appetit and she wants to know what are you up to next?
2: What am I up to next um i am um, <laughs> I, um, I am I'm looking at at several projects right now in New york city
1: we 're not going to do any Restaurant breaking projects. breaking breaking headline news on this show, but you 're looking into things okay
2: yes that's correct.
1: I will stay tuned <laughs> no because i'm a i 'm a huge fan of yours as Thank you. as a person and a chef, Thank you. and I just think you 're really talented and i 've always enjoyed. cooking and what I don't know what to expect like as you said you're you know you're you're not gonna do the same thing Mm. so whatever it is I look forward to it thank you (laughs) now what about someone who wants to get into the industry like what Mm -hmm. advice would you have for someone like a chef out there who's
2: Um, young well um, I would say as with anything get into it for the right reasons
1: what are the right reasons well the right reasons
2: are are really up to the individual but personally speaking I would say um, the realisms of this business um, it is a it is a great business there's a lot of joy to be had in this business there really is Um, but it's a business that you really have to be very devoted to you don't watch the clock in this business you don't look at your bank balance and it's a business which you have to put a lot of time and Definitely effort in. Definitely
1: don't look at the bank balance. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> it's not a business with which um, you get famous instantly or you get rich instantly, um, which I think there's a lot of misnomers about that with young people that look at it and maybe don't see that the craft of cooking, the craft of restauranteuring takes years decades to develop and um, it's a long slow march and it is something which if you do it right and if you if you get lucky really a lot of it has to do with right time right place if you get lucky you can do very well but it requires a lot of dedication and it is something that you really have to be very focused and very serious about and you don't do it half-heartedly it takes a lot a lot of dedication Um, and personal sacrifice, is what I can say, to do.
1: Excellent. And on that note, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back and we're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. are back this is on the industry on heritage radio network i'm sherry Bayer. my guest today is paul liebrandt it's time for my speed round game what this is is i name a couple of things either or situation and you just pick your preference you ready mm-hmm. okay here we go eat in or eat out eat out wine beer cocktail or mocktail wine tasting menu or a la carte
2: I can't.
1: small plates or large plates large communal table or chef's counter communal tipping or all inclusive charge
2: all inclusive
1: open kitchen or closed closed making pasta or making foams and tweezer food
2: making pasta
1: <laughs> I read that Yeah. <laughs>
2: passion love <laughs> pasta
1: Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Oh, Manhattan. Great. You're very good at the game.
2: It's a speed, uh, speed, you said speed. Yeah, round. but yeah. you
1: wouldn't, a lot of people don't get the speed of the speed round. We get stuck a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's why you call it a speed round,
0: right?
1: I know, but it, <laughs> it turns into a long discussion about about everything, um, which also I never want to cut off because the discussion uh, is very interesting. Okay. But um, no, you got the speed. Well, we of can the discuss speed
2: round. any of those that you like, but yeah, the speed, I, you know. No, you, you did weren't great. a speed round, it's a speed round.
1: Excellent. follow directions well (laughs) okay so industry news big news this week New York Times re-reviewed per se and Pete Wells the article was titled at Thomas Keller's per se slips and stumbles and he gave it two stars knocking it down from four stars it was last reviewed um, by Sam Sifton in 2011 Uh, um I was, I was very surprised and very saddened by this, by this news, but I haven't been to per se myself in about seven years. So it's kind of hard for me to know. I mean, my experience there was four stars and beyond. I loved it. Um, any, Mm. any thoughts on this?
2: Um, personally I haven't, I haven't eaten a per se in, in probably about a year and a half. Um, my personal experience is that it is um, an exemplary restaurant that is a four-star restaurant, in my experience. Um, so I, I, I don't know of the experience that Mr. Wells had. Um, that's but, how, I, but that's I, haven't, how I feel. I haven't been there in a while, so I, I really I can't comment on what they're doing of, of the moment.
1: I mean, you say you haven't been there in a while. I really haven't yeah. been
2: there in a while. Um, I can only say that the times that I have dined there, um, it has been nothing less than exemplary four-star experience when I have dined there. Uh, but like I said, that was about a year and a half ago the last time.
1: Yes. Well, I don't... I mean, this is big news just because it's going from four to two is yes. is yes. pretty drastic, and I'm... a Huge fan of Thomas Keller and his whole team and everything he's done.
2: Absolutely, yes.
1: And um, I mean, I think Pete's experience or what he noted in the article was that there were problems with the service and the food, and also for the the price, which is now three hundred twenty-five dollars, including service. That it's just a lot of money to be paying and to have some disappointment. I right. think that was his take. But... Yes,
2: yes, yes. I read that too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. I don't know. I I wish. I wish. I wish per se and the whole team the best. And I'm. I you know, reviews are. I don't. I don't think I could be a critic.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So on a little lighter note, Mm -hmm. another article I had in the New York Times, Mm -hmm. Cakeage, or how restaurants really feel about cake brought in by Kim Severson. Now I learned from this article that in 2015, Cakeage became a a word added to the oxford dictionaries Uh and it basically means when people bring want to bring in birthday cakes to a restaurant Mm. and a restaurant charges a cakeage fee like a corkage fee yes you have to have some opinion on this because i imagine this has happened to you
2: oh many times yes (laughs) i I would expect most restaurants have that yes
1: and and did you charge a fee at your restaurant yes of course we do and did people complain about that no not at all okay
2: but you know my my restaurants have been prefix i mean the elm, the elm wasn't but for the most part prefix so right. um somebody would bring in a cake you know they're already getting dessert anyway whether it's part of a tasting menu or prefix so um but if they give us a cake i mean uh, we're never going to say no but um if it it's on our china and our labor and we have our staff and we we would uh, accoutrement the cake, whether it be with some ice cream or sorbet, to enhance the cake that they were bringing in. And we would charge the same as you would bring a bottle of wine in and a cake each fee, was the same same idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I, it was a great article because, I, I mean, I've never, I've never Happen, brought a cake into a restaurant. Happens I, all the time, yeah. And I imagine, I mean, from reading this, it seems like it it did or does and I thought it was I mean she quoted a few people in here but she was talking about how Sam Mason at WD-50 was very offended with getting a Cold Stone Creamery cake come in and yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't have anything to do with it because uh, he didn't I want mean, people to think it was his
2: well I mean you you know you walk through the dining room with a you know a, a Carvel ice cream cake and you you don't necessarily want other customers to look at that and think that maybe that's coming out of your kitchen but um, ultimately, the customer is king, and if that's what they want, we're happy to do it. Um, but there's a fee, obviously, a cutting fee and uh, plating, et cetera, fee to go with it. But uh, look, it's the same idea as wine. I mean, you know, if you go to a bar and you bring a bottle of beer in to the bar and ask the bartender to open the mm-hmm. bottle of beer and pour it in their glass and serve it to you, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. It's It's – I guess you can do it if you want to, but um, there's a fee involved with it. So, I personally have never been offended by somebody wants to bring because maybe the cake that they bring in is their favorite cake, and who am I to tell them no? They no, I, I would never, never do that. Um, I would always, um, if we know in advance, ask if if the customer would like us to prepare a birthday cake so that it's in. In sync with the rest of the meal, but um, ultimately the customer makes that decision if they want to bring a cake in, and that's their business.
1: Would you ever bring a cake in yourself? Do me you know personally, restaurant?
2: no, I wouldn't, but yeah, that's I don't me. Think,
1: I don't know. I don't think I would. <laughs> it's just one of those things, I, I guess, <laughs> yeah. It's. Um, I, I love that cake age is, is a word that is popular. It's now just a cool a word, cake It is. cakeage
2: you know she got t-shirts printed with cakeage we should could be the word of 2016 cakeage
1: I'm I'm on board if Kim's listening maybe we could just all do that together
2: rolls (laughs) off the tongue cakeage
1: excellent okay we're gonna take one more break and come back and do my solo dining experience so this is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network In the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is at High Street on Hudson in New York City. Here's the rundown. Location, 637 Hudson Street in the West Village. The concept, Philly spinoff providing house breads, house-made breads and pastries, elevated sandwiches, coffee, and more. The chefs and owner, Chef Eli Culp, business partner Ellen Yin, pastry chef Sam Kincaid and baker Alice, Alex Boyce. Why did I go? Because I had visited the original Philly location this summer and loved it and was very excited about this NYC opening. My experience. I went for a late weekday lunch and was greeted by Ellen, who I had met in Philly through my friend Pichet Ong. She was able to sit with me for a latte as I enjoyed my meal, which was really nice. High Street's intimate corner location space with giant windows was very inviting on a super cold day. What did I get? I had a pot of hot black tea and the ancient grain salad with farro, puffed wild rice, cider cranberries, goat cheese, and maple mustard vinaigrette, plus a waffle cookie from Ellen. She also sent me home with some wonder- wonderful freshly baked breads. Thank you, Ellen. My take. My salad was healthful and delicious, and the cookie hit the spot. The scene was locals, perfect for breakfast, lunch, coffee, bread, and pastries to stay or to go. A sad tidbit. The industry was shocked and saddened, very saddened, to hear the tragic news this past May when an Amtrak train heading to New York City derailed, leaving Chef Eli Culp paralyzed from the chest down. My heart goes out to him. I wish him the best in his recovery. Personal fun fact. In addition to dining at High Street in Philly this summer, I had dinner at their neighboring more upscale restaurant, Fork, which was fantastic. The cost was $18, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Absolutely. I can't wait to try their brunch and breakfast. Their website is highstreetonhudson.com. Have you been there, Paul?
2: I have not. I do know the space, but I have not.
1: Yes, it's. It, they did a nice job with it. With yeah, it looks yeah. beautiful.
2: I I go directly opposite. They have Myers of Keswick, which is the British store that has everything British. Directly opposite. Oh, family. okay. So I go there and I I I buy all my stuff for the house, sausages and. Oh, British I've never
1: been stuff.
2: there. Oh, it's it's a home away from home. It's all only British product. Yeah, it's great. Get Marmite and PG Tips and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Yes, I will have to check that out. But I really like this place. It's um, yeah, it's a great, a great addition it, it's, uh, to New uh, It's a very New nice York. space. Yeah. yeah.
2: Very nice, yeah.
1: Okay, so it's now time for the final question. Next week, my guest is Beth Schiff, casting director at You Choose Creative. So she does casting for TV shows such as Food Network's Chopped. What shall uh, we ask her, Paul? Anything you want to Beth?
2: Mm. Um, um, where do you see food TV going in the next five years?
1: It's a good question. I'll just kick off my whole show with that. There you go. <laughs> awesome. And that is the show.
2: Pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for coming out here and sharing. Your are part of your day with me and, and your experiences
2: my pleasure, thank you very much for inviting me it's wonderful to be on the show and um, yeah, I look forward to doing this again, thank you
1: yes, when, you, when we can hear more about what's next <laughs> okay, so my guest today has been Paul Liebrandt He is consulting right now with SodaStream. And if you heard the beginning of the show, he has a very long, amazing resume of accolades. And um, I'm a huge fan. So thank you, Paul. You can go to his website at paulliebrant.com. You can also go to sodastream.com and check him out on social media at paulliebrant at SodaStream USA and uh, also SodaStream UK. And I think there's more at SodaStreams. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are Bayer Public Relations and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived on org. We are on Stitcher and iTunes. You can download our podcast and listen to us anywhere, anytime. Many thanks to my engineer, Liz Smith, and again to Paul Liebrandt. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.